every time I've seen Donald, I say, hey, David, we have to play again. He wasn't, you know, I said, oh, no, Donald, we already played once. That's it. That's funny. Now, if I saw him again, I would say Mr. President. If you're in a race that has to attract middle American white males who are down on their luck, having a difficult time, something that says, I'm with her, or stronger together, is not especially effective. My phone rings in the room, and it was Horace Balmer, our then head of security, he said, David, Mr. Mandela wants to come up and see you. Wow. So I said, holy Moses. <laughs> A month ago, I was carrying my wife's skis. I fell down three steps, banged my head. There was blood all over the parking lot. My reaction was that Brian Gumbel is an idiot. I, you know, I wish I could have spent more time with my kids when they were growing up. I was totally focused on the NBA. So you, you set the temperature at 110 degrees. You know, you give me water and a cookie. You know what? And, I'm uh, from the motherland, so okay. we kind of we like to have, we kind of like to, to, to like have it our hot. Heat. Exactly. We really thought that Houston would would be ready to part with Kevin Lowry. And uh, mid, and we had a, a trade lined up for Odom. I'm going to try to set the Guinness Book of World's Record for the shortest joke ever told. Are you ready? It's going to be quick. You ready? Ready. So David Stern, one of the greatest commissioners in sports history, knocked on the door of my apartment as I launched the Nuno and Company podcast. And right away, I faced a dilemma. Do I ask David Stern to remove his shoes as I do with most guests because of my light-colored carpet? Given that the NBA commissioner emeritus was kind enough to stop by, I just glanced at his shoes to make sure there wasn't any dog poop or anything. <laughs> I faced a bigger issue though, it was really warm in my apartment, especially because I had shut all the windows to steal out any noise, so I lugged a giant fan from my bedroom and prayed that the sound wouldn't interfere with the podcast. I had also taken advantage of a tip from David's longtime assistant that his favorite snacks are cookies, pretzels, and chocolate. I double checked on my equipment while David munched on some oatmeal cookies and Fig Newtons and worked intensively on his smartphone. The interview got off to a bit of a rocky start. The lesson I can share um, with all new podcasters like myself, if a guest is accommodating you, especially someone with a type A personality, don't ask right away whether he's an egomaniac. It risks the interview turning into a train wreck. But the episode inevitably got into a groove, including when David spoke about spending quality time with Nelson Mandela. And you don't want to miss David Stern's forceful response to once being called, quote, a modern plantation overseer, unquote, by Brian Gumbel. This episode has plenty of other highlights. David, who knows a thing or two about marketing, explains his qualms with Hillary Clinton's campaign slogans. And he tells a neat story about the time he defeated Donald Trump in a tennis match. He sings a Frank Sinatra tune before giving a somber response to one question about the biggest regret in his life. Of course, we talk plenty of hoops. David provides a peek behind the curtain regarding the blockbuster trade sending Chris Paul to the Lakers that he famously overruled. 
We discussed the NBA's ugly departure from Seattle and the future possibility of teams based in Europe. But this episode also gives a glimpse of the man behind the Commissioner Emeritus. Forgive me for this extended introduction, but I want to give some background uh, on the show. My name is Nuno Damasio, not like uh, New York City Mayor de Blasio or Joe DiMaggio, the baseball icon. So don't assume that I'm Italian. Regardless, I'm a writer who got my start as a sports clerk at the New York Times. Then I wrote full-time for the New York Daily News, the Seattle Times, the Washington Post, and Sports Illustrated before writing my first book, Parcells of Football Life, which I was lucky enough to have turned into a New York Times bestseller. My goal for this new show is to keep you company with well-known or influential guests who discuss their careers, life lessons, and current events. And each episode will have a bit of comedy. In this one, David assesses his favorite comedian and candidly grades a couple of my jokes. Anyway, this is not a sports podcast. Matter of fact, I had sent a letter to George W. Bush in Dallas requesting a face-to-face to mostly discuss his new art book. I figured it would get ignored among his junk mail, but I was shocked to get a response thanking me for the, quote, valuable opportunity, unquote, to appear in the podcast. Now, a cynic uh, uh, might take that as sarcasm, but for the president to send a letter explaining that his spring schedule was full and wishing me well was pretty cool, especially since I had voted against him. (laughs) But if he's good enough to be friends with Michelle Obama, he's good enough to get an invitation on the show. Anyway, in all seriousness, I'll give a brief summary of David Stern's impact on the NBA before we dive into the in-depth Q&A. I'm delighted to debut the Nuno and Company podcast by hosting David Stern in Manhattan on March 30th, 2017. Like virtually any great businessman or sports figure, David has his share of critics and will delve into some legitimate criticism, but I can't take anyone seriously who claims that David was simply lucky to run a league with Magic, Bird, MJ, LeBron James, who may be better than all of them, as if the NBA never had stars such as Will Chamberlain, uh, Bill Russell, Jerry West, and so on. When I started watching the NBA in the early 80s, the league was considered too black. Some fans called the Knickerbockers the Niggerbocker. You can look it up. The NBA supposedly had a major drug problem and the championship game was on tape delay. Fast forward three decades later under David Stern's leadership, the NBA turned into the second most popular sport in the world behind only soccer. Last year, David's successor Adam Silver negotiated a record TV deal that has helped quite a few stiffs get Powerball contracts. But the owners have probably made out better than anyone. According to Forbes, NBA teams are worth an average of $1.5 billion, and I'm pretty sure that most of the current owners had paid a fraction of that. Regardless of any occasional criticism of David Stern over the years, what caught my attention after his retirement in 2014 were the glowing comments by key NBA figures who he had clashed with, particularly Mark Cuban and Pat Riley. But I paid the most attention to Riley's remarks. That's because Riley has observed the NBA's transformation first as a player, mainly in the 70s, before he eventually became a Hall of Fame coach and a top-notch general manager. Here's the legendary Pat Riley's quote. David Stern is the number one force, the number one reason why this league is where it is today. 
That's not disrespectful to any one great player in any one era or any owner. This has to do with the leadership of one man, end quote. Now, I don't want to stroke your ego, David, because, you know, you're also known by some of your critics as an egomaniac. Uh, and even your allies consider, <laughs> concede that you have an healthy ego. So my first question, half, half jokingly, is do you plead guilty, innocent, or take the fifth? On being an egomaniac. Oh, that's uh, that's a little bit harsh. I'll take the fifth. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I know I will plead to having a strong ego. I think in order to have leadership, you have to have a strong ego. But other than that, I'm not uh, buying any of it. Because you keep saying critics. All I hear is quotes from Mark Cuban, quotes from Pat Riley. Where are those critics? Well, those critics have, have you know, they're, 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 you have your share of critics. You oh, I understand do. that, but uh, attach a name. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, I, I, I kind of, like I said, I do not give a whole lot of credence. No, no, into I'm, I'm, let you, I'm not letting you get away with it. You started out by saying people say that's. No, some of the criticism over the years. You but that's. You read the, articles, they're, they're not, you know, they're. Not all of them are, are household names. So I don't want to. A it's beat okay. writer says, you know, David Sturd is overrated. I, 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 I it's didn't, okay. I can. I give I, more credence to people. Like, I have a big ego. I can take it. <laughs> I got. I got you. All right, my, come on, let's go. My first question is: I heard that you once defeated Donald Trump in handball, no. and he asked. <laughs> That's not true. For a rematch? No, not actually. It was. Doubles tennis. Doubles tennis. Okay, thank you for correcting me. That's even better. And and I, if that, if there was a videotape of that, that would absolutely go viral. The the Playboy, um, you know, real estate magnate and future president of the United States playing the NBA commissioner in uh, um, table tennis. Doubles du tennis. Doubles not, tennis. Not, not table tennis. Double, tennis. Doubles tennis. Tennis. So just flesh it's a, out. It's a suburban United States sport, Nuno. You know. <laughs> they played tennis in the city. Um, flesh that anecdote out for me because I could just picture that. I mean, no, it was a pleasant afternoon. Uh, I was playing doubles with Bob Tisch, whose home we played at. And Donald was paired with a gentleman named John Veronis, and we played tennis. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure, my memory serves me correctly, that. Bob and I won, probably two sets, and uh, every time I've seen Donald, I say, hey, David, we have to play again. He wasn't, you know, I said, oh, no, Donald, we already played once. That's it. That's funny. And now, I, if I saw him again, I would say Mr. President. Yeah, yeah and, and I guess that shows about both his competitiveness and, and his ego. So how did you get in, how did you guys end up playing together? How did you meet David? Both guests of Bob Tisch. Okay. Bob Tisch was the. He and his brother Larry own CBS Sports. They, the family owns the New York Giants. Bob was the former Postmaster General. Right. Um, and a great, great person, as was Larry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were social friends. So you, you, you didn't want to give him a rematch for that, huh? I would have given him a rematch. i just kidding him. Gotcha. But I was, we, we, neither of us was ready to run to a court to play. That's funny. Well, I think you'll get a kick out of this. It, it kind of reminds me in a way of uh, one of my favorite scenes in the Parcells biography was at West Point where Arthur Ashe, uh, Bobby Knight, Norman Schwarzkopf, 
and Bill Parcells would play half court basketball, and I you could only imagine what the scene was uh, uh, um, like that. You know, o- over there, I'm sure it was competitive with with those uh, characters uh, uh, playing basketball all all uh, you know together. What you were a bas- you were a basketball player as a kid, right? I played basketball. I wasn't a basketball player. So tell me what tell me about that. What, what when did you realize that you had no future in basketball? Almost immediately. I was five ten when I was twelve. Okay. I went from being a center, a five ten center to a five ten forward to a a very slow five ten guard. So I was only good for getting my nose broken, trying to get rebounds and get rid of the ball as fast as possible. <laughs> That's funny. That was my specialty. A, a, a 5'10", a 5'10", forward and center. That that's almost like being a hundred pound sumo wrestler. No, that's, but that's <laughs> but but you're talking about you know we're talking sixty years ago. Okay, and what was your give us a quick scouting? What was your go to? What was David Stern's go to move offensively? Boy, just my go-to move offensively was get rid of the ball and then head to the hoop to get the <laughs> rebound from someone else who shot it. That's funny. If I had to, it was a one-handed, you know, it was a one-handed set or maybe a jump shot, but nothing special. Okay. It's interesting that you named uh, Robert Tisch because he actually is the question that I want you to answer now because Trump made a couple appearances in the Parcells book. And I want you to, I think you could give me insight into one of them, that the first owner of the New England Patriots was Billy Simmons, Billy Sullivan, Billy Sullivan. He lost millions investing in the Jackson Victory Tour in the mid-80s, so he was forced to sell the team And uh, in 1988. Top bidders were Donald Trump, Robert Tisch, your friend, who's, as you said, the Postmaster General, and Robert Kraft. Now, Trump and Kraft lost out um, to uh, Victor Kayam, and, and also Tish lost out. Victor Kayam of Remington Steel, he bought the team. And, and, you know, inevitably, of course, Kraft um, ended up with the Patriots. But Kraft was always interested in buying the Celtics and before he attempted to buy the Patriots. So you, you're... Tenure as the uh, commissioner started, what, in 84, 83? 84, but my representation of the league... Preceded that. Preceded that. I was the 24th employee of the league in 1978 as the general counsel. Okay. And before that, I was an outside counsel for 12 years. So I pretty much watched it all. Okay, so do you remember when Kraft was interested in the Celtics? No recollection of such a thing. Not at... not at all. You not never. At all. Not okay. at all. When an owner wanted to buy a team, was there pretty much a sh- short list? Yes, there was a, always a short list, and they usually came in through the league office. And, and how did you guys kind of navigate that? Well, we would tell them anything they wanted to know, any, answer any questions, and then let them know that there were forms that had to be filled out, having to do with their combination of their character and their financial ability. Mm hmm. And then go from there. Okay. And your your post commissioner office is a couple of blocks from Trump Tower, right? One. One block. Oh wow. So what's that like now? I'm sure it was pretty hectic, you so know. It's fine. A couple of weeks 
when they were barricading the street and not letting you walk in front of the building, it was a problem. But now it's fine. Now it's not too New bad. Yorkers are great, and the cops are great. You know, just a couple of, you know, AK-47s or whatever they are in helmets in front of the building. But <laughs> nothing too challenging after that. For, for, for a seasoned yeah. New Yorker, huh? Right. The NBA has had a lot of great slogans. I love this game. NBA action is fantastic. I remember all of those. I, I, I know that you're a Democratic donor. From a marketing perspective, I would love to get your take on Hillary Clinton's slogan. And here's why. I voted for her, but I felt that even Trump's Make America Great Again from a marketing perspective was was catchier than than her slogan so if you what off the top of your head what 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 are your thoughts on that my thoughts are that the democrats blew it completely that if you're in a race that has to attract middle american white males who are down on their luck having difficult time something that says i'm with her Mm -hmm. or stronger together is not especially effective and make america great again is a is a catchier and easier to articulate right and it, and of course reagan was actually um the first one to come up with that i believe like in the 1980s wasn't he i guess so i'm not sure that was exactly his but maybe you know it was the whole notion we're going to restore the shining light on the hill you know right. we're gonna gotcha. go back to a great time but Hillary's people, not Hillary, but whoever was doing her marketing, missed the mark. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it was it, it seemed more geared towards somebody with a cult of personality, and for somebody with more, you know, baggage than didn't. Well, it, it was it was a you know, I'm with uh, I'm with her is not a male focused. Um, you know, marketing cheer, gotcha. no, I don't think. And stronger together, I don't know what it signifies. Okay. Make America great again, you know, it does. And uh, if, if e- Even though it is kind of a dog whistle. Yeah, but whatever. Dog whistles work. Yeah. Whatever gotcha. a dog whistle is, it works. Gotcha. Uh, what they should have been doing was something like uh, strength. Mm-hmm prosperity and inclusiveness everyone knows what that those words are that's us we're the democrats okay and and a couple of years ago i I know um there was a report that people tried to recruit you to uh become mayor of new york i know you you said no and it, it, it wasn't a hard decision but i wonder have you ever seriously considered political office in say decades ago or no, I, I knew that I could use the platform that was a national travel platform as commissioner, mm-hmm. but I decided that that was not anything I was ever going to do. Okay. And I'm going to have to invoke your assistant, Linda Tassi. I hope she doesn't mind. But the reason is because knowing a little bit about her schedule, I think, says a lot about your post-commissioner life because after i contacted you she returned my message 
and I was happy, you know, to hear back from you. So I called the office after 6.30. It must have been around 6.30 on a Thursday. She picks up the phone on one ring, and I'm surprised because David Stern is re- retired. Like, what's... No, I'm not, reti- I'm not retired. <laughs> what, what, what's, her, what's his assistant picking up the phone at 4.30? Bad assumptions. I'm not retired. Okay. I'm, still, I'm, I'm working. Right. And our office hours at the NBA were 10 to 7, mm-hmm. and they still are. Okay. And then the next day, when, when I sent her an email, she responded at like 7 o'clock. So I'm, I'm saying... She's a great executive. She, I, she, she's been with me for 25 years. Wow. Cel- celebrated three weeks ago, I think. It okay. I'm saying to myself, poor Linda... Most people who retire from a top job, I know you're not retired, but usually they kind of, you know, lessen their, their, their workload. But that obviously has not uh, happened uh, 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 with you. So tell us about your, your, your post-commissioner life. You, you're a senior advisor for several startup companies, right? Right. I've got some sports technology companies that uh, are in... Uh Wearable technology, virtual reality, um, artificial intelligence, and video streaming, some broadcasting apps that allow people to either call their own games or have other people call the games other than the announcers that are scheduled. Um, And some, uh, one company is a deals with high school sports and highlights and the like. Um, It's fun because I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly driven to keep up with people who were digital natives. And Mm -hmm. I'm a a digital uh, immigrant, (laughs) but I'm I'm, I'm adjusting. So so that's good. And, uh, you know, and I I have a, uh, I'm a senior advisor to... uh, a venture capital firm, a uh, a strategy firm, and a uh, advisory based investment bank. So I'm keeping really busy. It sounds like it. Are there one or two ideas um, that you you're excited about, um, or, or would that irk some of your other partners if you just uh, mentioned one or two of them? Well, I'm I'm excited about all of them, but one that recently had an experiment is a company called Shot Tracker, mm-hmm. which uh, is a company that, using a sensor on your athletic shoe and a sensor in the Spalding ball uh, and the wiring of a gym, can uh, can do real time statistics, real time. Wow. Wow. So they know exactly who's scoring or what the score is, what the shooting percentage is, who's doing what. And in fact, if you do the Shot Tracker fan app, you can have it on your cell phone so you could see in real time whether the coach is doing the right thing or not, playing the right combinations, wow. taking out hot players, putting in hot players and the like. And I think that's going to be... You know, revolutionary because it also works at the college level for practices and the like. So even if your practice is three courts, rather than having a student manager keeping track of the shots and everything, shot tracker can do it in real time. So I think that's fun. But 
There's another one called. Uh, but before we go yeah. on, who, so who's using Shot Tracker now? Well, it just they, they're still in it's still in the developmental stage. But last weekend they did the NAIA tournament cool. in Kansas City. 35 games in five days, separated by 15 minutes a game. Wow. Uh, and it works, and it, it's great. And That's so exciting. It is very exciting. And they're now at the Final Four at the Coaches Convention, uh, you know, signing up others. So it's exciting. And everything I'm involved in, I, I find that life is full of opportunities to learn. And these are, these are companies that are teaching me uh, Another one is streaming. It's called Fubo, mm -hmm. and it uh, is streaming all manner of uh, networks and games, and I think will be quite successful. Another company is Live Like VR, virtual reality, which has a great uh, capacity to uh, capture games and what is VR and include social experiences with the VR. And there's another company called Stat News which is uh, uses artificial uh, infra AI, uh, uh, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, machine learning to basically ingest everything that you would want to know about a sport and give you a quick answer. Hmm. Um, and another one called Overtime, which is, you know, capitalizing on the, the trend now for kids to want to be have their have their uh, highlights captured so there are people are capturing it on the cell phone mm. filing it in overtime and people are adopting and embracing their own sort of uh, little sections of the site and everybody knows who the best high school basketball players in the country are now cool. it's not something that I'm focused on as part of my everyday life but it's fascinating to see that right. This player who's, and now that they're signing, they're announcing their intentions as seniors to where they're going and the like. It's fascinating to watch the ecosystem that has grown up around high school basketball players. It's cool. So, you know, I guess one benefit of retiring is that you no longer have to be officially a neutral fan. So are you back to rooting for your Knicks or what, what's that like? Uh, I've been sufficiently uh, de-fanned de over the last 36 years that uh, I don't do as much rating, rooting, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Okay. So, so you, but now you can openly, do you openly root for them now? Or is it, are your habits yeah, so ingrained? In no, well, my habits are very much ingrained. I used to root for the referees. Picture that. But... Mm. Uh, but no, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan. They haven't had such a good year. It's too bad. Yeah, they, they have Wait had, till next year. They have not had a good, uh, you know, year for, for quite a while, unfortunately, for Knicks fans. What, what's your, my guess is that your focus is in your role as a, uh, as a consultant for the NBA is on the global aspect. Like, tell us what. You, no, you, I'm just available to Commissioner Silver, and we talk about a number of things on an ongoing basis, none of which I would share on this podcast, but okay. just to say that, uh, you know, there are some things that perhaps only a, an ex-commissioner, a commissioner emeritus could talk to a sitting commissioner about in mm -hmm. a constructive way. And I'm, I'm, I'm there for him. I'm thrilled by his success. The poor guy worked with me for 21 years and 
five different jobs and they all reported to me. Right. So he was ready to be out on his own and show the world what he can do, and he's showing the world an awful lot. So what um, you you said before uh, uh, that you believe that the NBA will one day, if not have a team based in Europe, play certain games there. Just kind of expand on that. Well, usually in response to questions, Adam and I. I first, and now him occasionally. We, we talked about what would be the right situation. What people don't focus on is that through exhibitions and regular season games, the NBA has played over 160 games outside the United States as we sit here in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually opened the season with two teams in 1990, regular season games in Tokyo. Wow. So we've been at this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I said and have said is that in order to be outside the country, rather than just playing an occasional regular season game in either Mexico or Japan or even Europe, because we, uh, we play regular season games now in London and have for the last several years, yeah. that we would have to probably put a division in Europe. Cool. Five teams, you know, you'd have to make sure that the affinity was there, that the economics were there, mm -hmm. that the television rights were there, etc. But short of that, and that's not happening anytime soon because you'd have to have five perfect arenas as well. And, and although there's one in London and there's one in Berlin and there's about to be one, or I guess there is one in Paris, they just, they just remodeled and totally gutted and fixed up Bercy in mm -hmm. Paris. So you got three European arenas. You don't even have five right. to choose from. So I just don't. It's not happening anytime soon. So if it, ever is it, so is it going to happen before Newt Gingrich's uh, prediction of of uh, having a, a colony on the moon or? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <That's>, uh, probably <laughs> okay, or before life. Is established on Mars. It's funny. Hey, Elon Musk said, I, I think he said in 50 years that we, he, he, okay. would, he, he would have. Uh, Listen, I on. love it when people sign up for a mission to Mars. <laughs> Adults with families, oh, I'm going to Mars. That's good. You, you're never coming back. <laughs> that may be, but we're going. So it's funny. But it's, a, it's an interesting subject for discussion. And clearly, under Commissioner Silver, uh, globalization continues to push the NBA. They just announced two games in China for October. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the schedule for Europe. I'm sure there will be one or likely to be one. Mm -hmm. um, and the U.S. players played in Rio successfully. And uh, I can't, I'm sitting here having trouble remembering. I guess Tokyo, the Olympics in Tokyo are okay. 2020. I'm sure we'll send the U.S. team there. So, good things are happening. And there's going to be a World Cup of basketball in China. Mm -hmm. So, I think the NBA is a global participant in the development of the sport. Right. And that's really good for the NBA. Okay. Adam Silver, um, who would be, if Adam Silver had turned down the job, who would be the second choice? Who would be your second choice? There was no second choice. He was groomed for it. I know he was grouped for it, but it's not, you know. People, all, smart people like yourself always have contingencies. Nope. 
So you're not the contingency was me continuing. Really, be stuck <laughs> oh. with me. I see. So that's how it, I managed to get him. <laughs> I'm teasing. The owner said, "Oh my God! If it's not Adam, we'll have David. We better do something here." So it was Adam. It's and it, I strongly recommended him, and I'm proud of the choice, and I'm proud of the job he's doing. Gotcha. So it seemed like, uh, and you guys, the, the league never thought about considering anyone from outside, like the nope. NFL has nope. done. It was never a thought. Nope. It was unanimously elected as my successor on my recommendation, and others too. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Okay, last season the NFL, you know, they had a drop in ratings, at least temporarily. It seemed like a confluence of reasons, Colin Kaepernick, the concussion issues, the presidential election, the interest there. If you're a senior advisor for the NFL, what, what's the gist of what you would, the guidance you would give them? I would say don't panic. You still have the strongest sporting presence in the United States, second to none. No one comes close to your ability to deliver audiences and achieve for sponsors. Mm -hmm. You might think about speeding up your games, which they are doing. Uh, I read in the paper the other day that they have a whole slate of ideas to, to improve the timing of their game. And, uh, you know, other than that, just keep on, keep on. And be mindful, I guess. There's a... Uh, you know, there's a discussion going on about injuries and the like, which is not unimportant, but mm -hmm. you have to deal with it. And they're enacting rules changes that are lessening the risk of injury as well. Okay. So I think they're doing well. And similar, similar kind of type of question with ESPN. And, you know, they're, they're going to be a, a power for, for the foreseeable future, but apparently they're, they're losing some... Uh, subscribers with, with because of cord cutting what would your advice be stay the course you know it's kind of funny uh, we're in such a future focused world demanding enormous growth patterns mm -hmm. that there may just be some businesses that hit this spectacular place where their margins are good their profitability is high but their ability to grow revenues and hence profitability has slowed down a bit. And I think ESPN is hitting that phase. I don't know I, I, I don't know where it's going, but I would say that they should be focusing as they are on the digital explosion. Mm -hmm. You know, people are gonna be seeing their games now. One game was shown on Yahoo, another one another season was shown on Twitter and I read the other day that some of the big Technology companies are lining up to bid for Thursday night football. Right. So I think they will be pushed logically to a more digital presence. Okay. I got a chance to visit your office to introduce myself before, well before the podcast interview. And you have, you know, you have some really cool mementos. Nothing over the top. It's tastefully done. You know, I noticed that, that uh, President Obama had sent you a really nice note after you stepped down uh, talking about your legacy. I think your picture and a nice note from Mark Cuban about how much you've helped him. And But the thing that struck me, what, what I thought was really cool was a picture of you and Nelson Mandela. 
So I want you to talk about that. What was that like being in his presence? Was he curious about basketball? Just kind of flesh that out for me. Well, Nelson Mandela had a huge impact on our efforts at social responsibility. We visited South Africa with players and coaches in 1993. Uh, Mr. Mandela had, had been out of Robben Island but was not president yet. And we were questioning whether we should go or not. Um, it was a dangerous time. A lot of people dropped out mm -hmm. uh, because there were these uh, killings going on in the what they called the hostels. I guess it was the ANC and the Zulus, I think. I'm not positive. And I said to my wife, I guess if we're going to, if, if, if we're sending a group, we better be with it. If, if uh, you know, and uh, we were concerned because, in addition, apartheid had not been officially dismantled as the policy, legal mm -hmm. policy of South Africa. And uh, but we were told that we were the guests of the uh, National Olympic Committee of South Africa (NOXA), and that we were. Uh, and that was a really a post-apartheid organization, and it was, and that uh, Nelson Mandela would stop by at the dinner we were going to have on a certain day. Cool. And I said, that's good enough for me, you know. So we went, mm -hmm. and we started out in Johannesburg, et cetera. I think we might have sent a contingent to Durban for a day to do clinics. It was very successful. Came the day of the dinner, my phone rings in the room, and it was Horace Balmer, our then head of security. He said, David, Mr. Mandela wants to come up and see you. Wow. So I said, holy Moses. So I, <laughs> okay, Horace. So, so you had no idea. No idea. No idea. No idea. And in you. fact, he never came at a given time because his life was always considered to be under threat. Mm -hmm. So I called Charlie Grantham, who was then the head of the Players Association, was on the trip. I said, Charlie... Put on your pants, because I'm putting on mine. That's and Nelson funny. Mandela's about to be in my room. Get up here. And he did get up there, and knock, knock, and there was soon-to-be President Mandela. And Charlie and I and my wife, Diane, had the opportunity to sit with him for 45 minutes. And uh, What was the conversation like? What was his well, personality the conver like? The, his, his conversation was as calm and almost beatific as I could possibly imagine. In fact, it moved me towards the end of the conversation to say, I don't understand. How are you so calm and why are you so calm? Why aren't you angrier? Mm. And in the course of the conversation, I had indicated to him this is, that summer was my summer for dissidents because he was a dissident mm -hmm. and a hero. And I had also seen Natan Sharansky earlier in the summer in Israel, and he was a refusenik who had spent something like nine years in a gulag. Wow. And he said to me, he had it harder than I did. I said, I don't understand. You were in Robben Island for 27 years. Mm -hmm. He said, yes, but I had books, and he didn't. Hmm. So he thought that reading was really a big deal. Mm -hmm. Number two, he said to me that he was glad that we came. Who's this? saying this to you. President Mandela. He okay. said to me, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm glad because I think sports 
really has the capacity to solve problems and bring people together. Little did I know that in the movie Invictus, he would live that, okay, where he used a mostly white rugby team but showed his support for it, which was politically potentially an issue, but he, w- he wouldn't let it be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I'm really glad you didn't bring books. Hmm. And we said, why is that? He said, because our children can't read as part of the rebellion and opposition, we pulled them out of school. Mm. So it was an interesting and soulful mix of things. And he said to me that one of the reasons that I'm finding him so calm was that if he, if I'd come three years ago, he would have been in jail. Mm-hmm. And if I'd come last year, he would have been, in effect, out, but helping with decisions, etc., and if I come next year, he's going to be president. So he's pretty. He was pretty cool with all of that, and it, and and I did go to his inauguration, and um, we then went downstairs, and he stayed for the whole dinner. Hmm. Uh, I we have photos of him at the table wearing. A, we put a jacket on him. He was. Gave him a basketball he was wearing. I think maybe the tradition of kids wearing their uh, baseball caps with the tags hanging down mm-hmm. might have been initiated in 1993 by Nelson Mandela. Hmm. Uh, so he was a great man, and he was very influential, uh, for us at least, in helping us to understand what the benefits of social responsibility and using sports for the best possible things to happen right okay let's let's what would david stern be in an alternate universe in in in, with alternate facts you mean (laughs) uh i I guess so you you know the scientific term alternate universe or parallel universe parallel universe yeah Yeah, i'm familiar when when so and it can't be a lawyer that's too easy because I know even if you weren't an NBA commissioner, you would have been a lawyer. But I'm thinking more based on your interest as a teenager, your backup plan in college. What would you be? What would David Stern be in another world? I would be a shopkeeper. Hmm. My dad had a delicatessen. I enjoyed working there and interacting with there and I, with people there, and I always enjoyed sort of waiting on trade, as they say. Okay. And being proud of the organization, being, uh, you know, vigilant about maintaining it and the like. So I was, uh, you know, I, my father was determined that I would never do such a thing because <laughs> he wanted me to be a professional. So I went to law school. Right. But I would have been happy doing, you know, many things. I just don't, I don't, I never thought about it because I never had to make difficult choices. Mm-hmm. I graduated college and went to work. I went to a law a law school. Then I went to the a firm, and the firm happened to have the NBA as a client. Right. So I worked on the NBA for twelve years, or many of those twelve years. Then I went to the NBA. So by the time I stepped down as commissioner, and I hate to use the word retired because I'm not retired, mm-hmm. I had received paychecks from only two organizations. 
mm. the Proskauer Rose Law Firm, and the NBA. Right. And that covered 48 years. Mm. <laughs> so I've never really had to delve into the parallel universe issues. Mm-hmm. And I've been extremely lucky that way. I got you. Well, what's your secret passion, Uh, a a (coughs) hobby that people who don't know you closely, know you well, might be surprised about? No, I'm a, I'm a, uh, no, I don't really, I'm not sure I'd call it a passion, but I, I love to read newspapers. I refuse to read them online if I don't have to. Hmm. I read several uh, newspapers, trades, business magazines. I think that's because that's what I started to do when I was learning about basketball and business because I never went to business school and I didn't have a background in business, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, you know, uh, before I had a recent uh, partial knee replacement and a hip replacement, I skied with my wife. We hike in the summertime in the Alps. Mm. Uh, we bike out in Colorado. Uh, you know, I don't play golf. I do play tennis. I've been quasi removed from tennis for the last couple of years, but I'm anxiously anticipating a return this summer. Hmm. So there's no one passion other than an obsessive compulsive need to follow the news, follow business results, and be up to date on almost anything. So you're pretty much a news junkie, it sounds like. I am. I am a news junkie. Well, publishers would, newspaper publishers would love to hear that. They, they, now they want to get more young people to have that yeah, kind of mindset. Yeah, no, I know That's that. Well, you got to, you know, now the mindset is going to come from your Facebook feed or something like that. Right, right. It's not right. coming from, a, you know, there are people who say, you still touch newspapers? I am, uh, yes, I love newspapers. <laughs> That tactile touch, I think it's great. Right. So, who's influenced you the most in your life? Well, it's pretty easy, actually. It was different parties, but, you know, I worked for my dad. Mm-hmm. And he was a, pardon the pun, a stern taskmaster who drove <laughs> me in certain ways. Uh, and I think he had a very important influence on me. I was inspired by many, like many people my age, by John F. Kennedy, that caring about your country and being excited about public service was interesting. And I had a mentor at the firm who was a stickler for detail, who, who, you know, wanted to, everything should be written perfectly and be as short as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was a litigator, and I was a litigator. So your mentor, who who's your mentor? His name is George Gallants. He recently passed, but at the age of a hundred. Wow. But uh, you know, he was a lawyer who I went to work for at the firm. Um, and then when I withdrew from the firm, and he was the lawyer on the account, the NBA account. Mm-hmm. And then I worked for or for or with interesting people. You know, Larry O'Brien was the commissioner. Course, that I went to work for. You say, of course, but most people don't remember. It's interesting. If you say to a 20 something, oh, Larry O'Brien, mm. you know, and you say, well, do you remember that name? No. Do you know that Watergate was his office that the plumbers broke into? I don't know what you're talking about. I there. think most young NBA fans would know the name, 
if you even but if wouldn't they wouldn't they would know that well it depends if they Larry were young, O'Brien, I, I, if they were young fans rather than old people like you Nuno <laughs> they would be you know if you grew up on me announcing games I'm sorry announcing drafts uh, and if you're 25 years old uh-huh. by the time you were 10 or 11 you, there was no you didn't hear about Larry O'Brien you just I got you but I'm just thinking and as a matter of US history right that's they, what I'm saying they don't, if, if a yeah. young person knows even a little bit of history they just if they, they don't know the details they at least know a name I gotta tell you I don't think they know what the Bay of Pigs was oh the, come on uh, you 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 know I used to watch the Jay Leno show <laughs> and he would go out on the street and ask people questions you know who is Antonin Scalia? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Don't tell me. Is he? Does he play for the Dodgers? I, yeah, I've seen those clips, but sometimes I wonder if they just cut out no, the people who no. give correct answers because you can't. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Huh? That's the quality of the discourse and knowledge. Yeah, in this that, that's that's really sad. So, w- what's the best life lesson that you could share with our audience, and when did you learn it? I think the best life lesson is that whatever you're doing and however you do it, you probably have the opportunity to make a contribution mm-hmm. to some bigger issue, whether it's the way you conduct yourself, the way you deal with others, or the way you use whatever platform you may have. Uh, the fact that we were able to interface with Nelson Mandela, which was almost happenstance, the fact that I was commissioner when Magic Johnson announced that he was HIV positive and, wow. and that sparked a debate or really a conversation in this country which was extraordinary and game-changing with respect to HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the fact that I was in the middle of, you know, Ron Artest going into the stands and having this horrible brawl yeah. You know, I, you know, when people ask me, you know, what do you remember? You know, I don't say, oh, I was there when Michael Jordan did this or did mm-hmm. that. I, mm-hmm. I think about when I was there protecting the NBA in its interest because that's the way I am. Right. And then we had the opportunity to start NBA Cares. There's always some opportunity by sort of choosing A or B. <laughs> and... Uh, and you should be alert to that possibility because there's a series, there are a series of choices in life. And it may not seem so at the time, but uh, you uh, will have the opportunity to make a contribution. Okay. Well, sp- that leads me to this, with the series of choices. What, what was the biggest turning point in your career, I guess? Um, I, I would say when you... You tell me, what's the biggest turning well, point? Well, the biggest turning point was when the owners decided that they would go with this sort of dull, uninteresting lawyer and make him commissioner when Larry O'Brien announced in 1983 or so that he was going to step down. And that was a turning point. And they turned over the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. They're not keys that anyone was that anxious to get uh, because business was really difficult, but... Um, the good news was they left the NBA, its assets, in the hands of me and a whole bunch of 
like-minded people who liked each other and loved the game, and uh, we were able to make something of it. And that was, to this day, a life-changing experience because I, you know, there are still colleagues of mine who have been at the NBA for 25 and 30 and 35 years. Mm -hmm. They get better. You know, people would normally say, well, if someone's been in a job for 30 years, he must be burned out, quiet. These, no, not at the NBA. These are energized, energetic, intelligent, caring people. And they uh, follow the mission, which is to grow the game and use it for the right purposes. I read somewhere that when you were named commissioner, it wasn't a given. It was, it was to, and some people thought it was a surprising choice. Jerry Colangelo was the name that I had heard was in consideration and then also perhaps dave um no bill bradley how accurate was that information i don't recall those names but okay. there were other names and uh as it was announced it was announced as unanimous whether it actually was or not i don't know but mm -hmm. but uh it was announced as unanimous and uh, uh you know and we got on with it and I don't think that the owners held out any great hopes for it, honestly. Mm. It was what it was. It was a league of... I'm trying to remember how many teams we had at that time. 23 teams, um, not doing particularly well, no mm -hmm. great income, no great television, no great anything. Uh, and, as you mentioned earlier was denigrated because it was too black and mm -hmm. had too many drugs and none of that you know, the, the part about being black was true but the drug part was highly exaggerated mm -hmm. and uh, we had our hands cut out we had a we had a we had our work cut out for us okay what living person presumably a public figure do you dislike the most that you've never met and you may be wrong about that person based on what you know, but I'm just curious. Really? Yeah. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us why? No. <laughs> I can tell you why. I tell you because I think he's not a patriot. I think he's so happy having finally succeeded in being the head of the Senate mm -hmm. that he is not going to consider things fairly, hmm. but only from one side of the house. And I think that patriots, you know, are, are able to work with the other side. I saw yesterday, uh, was it Senator Warner and Senator Burr, mm -hmm. Senator Burr from North Carolina, Republican. Mm -hmm. They're getting together on the, on the Senate Intelligence Committee and they're gonna hold hearings and it practically brought a tear to my eye mm -hmm. because that's what our country is supposed to be. I was brought up or, or knowledgeable at an age of, you know, Everett Dirksen and uh, Charlie Halleck as the leaders, Republican leaders of the House and the Senate, and Lyndon Baines Johnson and Sam Rayburn in the Senate and the House on the Democratic side. And people were certainly political animals, but at the bottom of the day or the top of the day, they they made deals that in the end were good for the country, and I just don't see that. And how how long have you felt this way about him? Is it a recent thing, or just it's been it's been for a while? 
Uh, it's mostly recent when he became the Senate leader. Okay. And conversely, a person, a living person you greatly admire who you've never met, but everything you've seen about the person, you just, you're like, okay, this is a, this is a great person. This is a great man or woman. Well, unfortunately, I've met Barack Obama, but I would put him into that category. But okay. I've, but I've been in his presence. All right. Uh, who I haven't met. Yes, who you have not met. I'm pretty lucky. I've met a lot of people. You have. That's one of the things. Nelson that Mandela. I mean, you know, that how good get is that? No, that. it doesn't. And I've I've sat with Muhammad Ali. Wow. Uh, you know, when he got an honorary degree from Columbia. Uh, oh. I don't know. I don't know someone who I haven't met that. Uh, uh, that I greatly mind. I think I've sort of met everyone. Did hmm. uh, you greatly admire? Yeah. In, 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 at some no. point. Yes. 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 Okay. Who do you miss the most? Who's dead? And it cannot be a relative. Oh, I think that John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. whatever their foibles and their personal stories were or people who inspired us to be better and to worry about our country. Uh, I miss that. I miss that in in politics and government and life. Okay. With, with John F. Kennedy, I, I thought you were going to mention somebody you actually know personally. Um, with well, Kennedy, how? Yeah. I didn't know him, but I knew him. I mean, okay. he was like, we used to get up to watch his press conferences and and be inspired by him. His death, along with the death of his brother mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, who was not anyone's my favorite, but these were people who engendered a debate that this country lost. Okay. And uh, I, I think that's very, very sad. Okay. And um, what's, speaking of death, what's the closest you've ever come to dying? I have a theory that most friends or relatives don't know how close. No, I, I'm a, I've led a charmed life. You know, I, you know, the problem is you never know. I mean, two years ago, this July, my sister went in for uh, surgery, and uh, it was uh, to have a bone fused in her ankle, mm-hmm. and it was, what do you call it, elective surgery at the time, because she didn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And the morning after the surgery, she died because she had a That's blood terrible. clot. So, so I think you're always on the edge. Mm-hmm. If you cross the street in New York, if you've had a hip replaced or a you know or a knee partially replaced mm-hmm. you're always running a risk mm-hmm. and uh, I think we're all always dancing with death in a crazy kind of a way. That's kind of why I ask so even as a kid not a near death experience, a car oh, accident I once ran across the street and almost got hit, almost got hit by a car. I've never uh a month ago, I was carrying my wife's skis. I fell down three steps, hmm. banged my head. Oh. There was blood all over oh the parking lot. They Are came you with it. They came with an EMS car, uh, ambulance to take me to the hospital. And honestly, other than some blood that they had to come use bleach to get out, everyone assumed I was 
had a brain injury or wow. unconscious. Or when did nothing. this happen? It happened in uh, February. February in where? In uh, Stonemass, Colorado, in the shopping center. So I'm assuming you, 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 oh, you said it was in the shopping center. Right, I was walking down steps to okay. the parking lot, and there I was, lying on the ground with uh, people asking me if I, if I a, a very kind stranger saying, who are you, what's your name, what's the day of the week? Hmm. He wanted to see how bad it was. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It, it turned out to be not so bad. But I did have what they say it's subcutaneous stitches and staples in the back of my head. It was... Uh, an interesting That day. does not sound like a minor injury. No, it turned out to be relatively minor, but, I mean, it turned out to also it could have been not so minor, but it was, right. Right. It was not life-threatening. And, and when you're telling these people who you are, when they're asking, I get, none of them recognized you? No, it's just who I am, David Stern. You know, where do I live? Gave my address. What day is today? Things like that. Huh. Huh. What's your most valuable possession as far as sentimentality? Um, something you value. I mean, I know you, you, you've been very successful over the years. You know, you could, I'm sure you have your toys. Like other people yeah. have their toys. But what do you value um, that you possess that maybe most other people don't understand? Uh, well, there are, I have certain coins, silver dollars that were part of a religious ceremony that where one buys his eldest son from the priest mm. in the Jewish religion. And I still have those five silver dollars that uh, I gave to the priest, but he gave them back to me symbolically. Okay. That's something like that. Is a, or a watch that my wife gave me when we were engaged uh, 54 years ago. Okay. Um, but I'm, I don't have a lot of possessions. You've seen some stuff in my office. That's but some I'm, cool stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a warehouse out in New Jersey that has 30 years worth of cool stuff. I, oh, really? I never got around to getting there, but I, I hmm. keep telling myself I will. And That's it's true. been three years since I stepped down. Uh, what's your, you, you talked about being a uh, newspaper junkie, um, and you, you read a lot of newspapers. What, what's your favorite book? Uh, something you've read m more than once, multiple times. Oh, I've, I haven't. I don't do that. I don't okay. read a lot. And I just read uh, pulp novels. Jason Bourne is my Robert Ludlum. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, or something that my kids give me to read, my son's... Uh, Something about the coming war with China, or something about uh, fallen angels, so the, you're uh, civil war story, okay. uh, which is novelized. But uh, um, I don't. Uh, I I got into this habit of in the here and now, mm -hmm. and if there's one thing that suffered from that, it was the development of a reading habit or protocol, for which I'm regretful. But I haven't turned it around yet i see well it, you seem so you do it sounds like you are a fiction reader oh yeah i don't i don't even understand how people figure out how to write these yeah i, I don't i i, I think don't. it's great you know they're inside the cia they're inside right. this country they know this about history uh -huh. my god 
Yeah, I think it uh, takes a special talent. Even though I'm a writer, I could never in a million years write fiction. Well, I'm assuming they pick a country or they pick a time and they have a bunch of researchers that do the work for them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just too much. Hmm. What's, what are you proudest of in your life, the most proudest of in life? Well, I'm proudest of the fact that I have two sons that have been through college and law school and a wife of over 50 years, mm-hmm. and we're still an intact family, okay. or at least as intact as most families. Sure. And uh, from a professional perspective, I'm proudest of the fact that I uh, played some small part in demonstrating that uh, America could be persuaded to focus on merit and performance rather than race Mm -hmm. uh, in choosing what sport to follow. Because I think that clears the way for the application of that principle Mm -hmm. across the board. Sports might be the cutting edge, but the reality is that uh, you come to the NBA, if you've got game, you play. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter where you came from or what color you are. Mm -hmm. Show me your game, and if you can play, you're in the game. Right. Well, you know, I I am going to, you were asking me, you know, to to mention a critic, you know, so. Oh, here it comes. Yeah, I'm going to mention a critic. You can mention anything you want. I'm going to mention a critic, uh, and and here's, and the reason I mentioned the critic, because you kind of like touched on race. So, one critic, and when I saw the quote, I thought to myself, that had to sting David Stern more than any other criticism in his career. And here's why, you know, you've pushed teams to hire qualified blacks in management. You've recruited black ownership, not Michael Jordan and Robert Johnson. I remember reading about it um, in 1989, I believe they were from Denver. Bert Lee and Peter right. Bino. Right, right. Bert is deceased. Bino's a friend. Okay. Great. And you, you have a lot of a close relationship with plenty of, of league executives and former players who happen to be black. So, what? How did it make you feel when Brian Gumble dubbed you, quote, unquote, a modern plantation overseer, unquote? My reaction was that Brian Gumbel is an idiot <laughs> and that I considered a badge of honor. He was repeating something that the players' representatives had said in the middle of a lockout. Oh, really? He was like uh, just regurgitating something. Oh, He's okay. the same guy that did a feature on our players and tried to sensationalize their nightlife. And, mm. you know, even though he happens to be black, he... He was talking about our guys and the women they hang out with, etc. I have no respect, whatever, for him, so that didn't upset me at all. Wow. Okay, that that comes as, as a surprise because I just felt he kind of like went in. No, that's the, he 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 wasn't the first. You know, when you're involved in a harsh couple of collective bargaining agreements and negotiations and lockouts, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get the race card played against you. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't. That never bothered me. Gotcha. Even though he, it, it's a little different coming from him because of 
who he is in the platform. My, my response was, I have done more for people of color than he has. Wow. Wow. Okay. And another thing, I, another criticism he had made, I think par partly the uh, he criticized you for the dress code and he said that you like to keep the hired hands in their place. Of course, of course. Now, I, I feel that I am sure there are a lot of white people who work for you who would say you keep them in their place. That's, no, that's, I would just, that's, that's, I would just, that's my guess. I would just encourage them to that, be all they could be. <laughs> but you know what? The dress code was. It's actually quite funny, and 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 Brian Gumble probably is sufficiently ignorant that he couldn't tell you what the dress code is, because the dress code that I put into place, with the full knowledge of consent of the union, even though they ran away from it as soon as I did it was if you come into the arena, come in wearing a pair of shoes, jeans, mm -hmm. and a shirt with a collar. Let's show our respect to the game. And if you're not in uniform, you're going to sit on the bench, you should wear a jacket. Right. It raised some very important issues. We had to decide how you would rule a leisure suit mm -hmm. uh, for a player who wanted to do it. But it was not a big deal. And our players are so well-defined physically that they took it to the next level. Right, I, and I was just about to say that. I'm sure, though, neither you nor the players, you know, who hated it at the time, ever realized the opportunities it would generate. Because now, you know, NBA players have fashion brands; they get endorsement yeah. deals, top designers. <laughs> it was, it's it's, it's a so riot. ironic. Yeah, I remember getting killed because yeah. of it. That was they were doing cartoons of me, putting me in in gold chains, and you know, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. But the reality was, it didn't take long. Our players went way past it. If you're, if you're Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant or Tyson Chandler, mm -hmm. you take or James Harden, you take pride in who you are, how you're built, how you dress. Okay. And actually, it's really part of what I'm proudest of, which is mm -hmm. our players who had the worst reputation in sports when we all started this journey, mm -hmm. they were in the basement of the pyramid, I say, and now they're at the top of the pyramid. Mm. That gives me great pride every day. Okay. People listen to them, respect them, expect them to do the right thing. They work in their neighborhoods, they work for their communities, they speak out on issues. That's exactly what we wished for. Tell me one of the things you most regret in life. And I know everyone has regrets, no, even in the last it's five like, years. It's like Frank Sinatra, regrets. I have a few, too few, too many to, to list or something, whatever right. you say. Uh, but something that you, you, you every once in a while look back on and say, man, I, I really wish I could have done this differently. Well, the only, the major regret I have is, uh, well, I, you know, I wish I could have spent more time with my kids when they were growing up. I was totally mm -hmm. focused on the NBA. Mm-hmm. I uh, didn't spend enough time at home. I wish, as a professional matter, we could get to where we had to get to without lockouts and all of the attendant publicity and posturing that has to come with it. Mm -hmm. But on balance, I'm a pretty happy camper. Gotcha.
Well, congratulations on the Sacramento Kings naming a street after you. That's pretty neat. That is cool. Now, is it was it a real street, like a fully formed it's a, street? It's a real street. It, I went out, uh, we opened up the arena, and it's actually not a real, real street. It's a street. Okay. It's, there's a major thoroughfare, and off the thoroughfare is a street that goes up to the building and has office space on it, and, and the address of the arena is on that street is 500 David J. Stern Walk. That's pretty awesome. That's cool. That That's cool. really, really but cool. But actually, the coolest thing is that the team is there. Right. They built a great building. Mm -hmm. The fans were rewarded for their loyalty, and the team is doing extraordinarily well. Right. So, but it, what I find interesting about Sacramento, uh, I mean, I, I, spent, I lived in Seattle for five years, so you know where this is going. I was a beat writer for the Sonics, and it seems like, they're, they're parallels, except Sacramento got to keep their team. And the parallels as far as the fans being passionate. The Seattle fans are passionate. They have a rich history. And it seemed like the main difference was, well, maybe the politicians of Sacramento, you know, were able to, to, to satisfy the NBA and the politicians of you know, Seattle, Washington State, they kind of ticked you guys off, and, and the fans got caught in the middle. So No, the you, fans always get caught in the middle one way or the other. But okay, the so what is, was the di main difference? It's not fair to call them just politicians. The government officials of right. Sacramento went far in identifying a site uh, and coming up with a series of subsidies mm -hmm. that ultimately didn't cost Sacramento anything, but at the time they might have. Because um, when they pledged the uh, parking revenues from the garages to help uh, secure the bonding that was necessary to build an arena, they didn't know what ultimately happened would happen, which is in Sacramento, as the deputy mayor told me, or the deputy city manager, the assessed valuation in the area of the new building went up $180 million a year, every year, bringing in huge tax revenue increases, real estate taxes. Mm -hmm. And so really it paid for itself. But Mayor Kevin Johnson was out there doing whatever had to be done. In Seattle, The uh, I think it was the Speaker of the Seattle House said, our players should take a cut in pay and put the money into the fund to help build the building. Mm -hmm. That's nothing we had to work with. Okay. Nothing. So so we tried hard. I testified. I visited with the governor. I did the same things in Seattle that I did in Sacramento. But there was a leader in, in Sacramento, Kevin Johnson, who was intent on, uh, on keeping that team. And remember, he was differently motivated because there had been huge subsidies mm -hmm. from the city for the baseball team and the football team to build their two buildings. So the, our basketball was the third third man in uh, in Sacramento. This was the game. Mm -hmm. And the city was very proud and had been very supportive. And uh, we worked with them, but we were trying to work with Seattle as well. Right. I, I think some of the, in Seattle, it I think part of the reason they had such a visceral re reaction to what happened beyond 
you know, compared to other teams losing this year, it seemed like they had no chance. And it's just like a lot of shady stuff going on with the emails from Clay, Clay Bennett uh, pointing out that he always was going to move the team out of Seattle. And, and, and with Howard Schultz, you know, he came across as either quixotic or at the least naive. So that's... that's I understand. That's, I understand. That's, but, you know, I mean, I think Howard was surprised by how hard it is to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. He's a great marketer, but right. he wasn't selling a lot of tickets when he owned Seattle. Mm-hmm. And he sold the team. And Clay Bennett bought it. Uh, Howard made a good profit. Right. Um, but he was under the impression, according to him, that they were going to leave that team in Seattle. Well, I was according saying, to him. we followed the, uh, you know, he couldn't get the building done. He hired lobbyists. He did all kinds of things at Howard, and it didn't work. Okay. Clay came in, and I think Howard probably thought that when the city saw that someone who wasn't of the city could move the team if he couldn't get what he needed, that would help get the job done. And I remember Clay looked at everything from Bellevue to Indian reservations where there was land to knocking down the existing facility. There were all kinds of things that were uh, he was willing to consider and we work with him to consider it. But at the end of the day, it never happened. But those emails that came out contradicted all what you just said. I don't remember the specific emails. It's possible, but okay. I was satisfied as commissioner that he was making a, a good faith okay, well, effort, and he would have been held to it if he had been successful. Okay, well, let's move fast forward. Do, do, do you feel deep down that they should have a NBA team? I know it's Adam Silver's decision, yeah. but... No, I think that they're a town that deserves a team. Right. No question about it. They've had a history of support. I remember when they won those games... Three and four. No, what would that have been? They won when they played against Chicago. Against the Bulls. Right, the Bulls won one and two in Chicago. They came back to Seattle. It was over. Right. And Seattle won game three. And, oh, then they won game four. Right. And then we headed back to Chicago. Maybe we headed back. Maybe it was 2-3-2 then. I can't remember. You were on the scene probably. Yeah, no, I didn't come until 1997. And all of a sudden, sudden people, oh, my God, they could do something. And so I think they actually, maybe they lost game three in in Seattle. But everyone thought they were going to, they could do it. It was exciting. It was exciting. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick trivia NBA trivia. The four members from the Sonics team of the late 90s, early 2000s who were current head coaches. Can you name them? I'm going to try and stump the NBA commissioner. Oh, this is easy. I don't know. Uh, Let me think. The four members. You can't have all day. No, but let me. I don't. I'm not. Four members from the late 1990s. Early 2000s Our Sonics current, that are current head coaches. I wouldn't even start to guess. Okay. That's good. Dwayne Casey. <laughs> Toronto Raptors. Yes. Nate McMillan. The Indiana Pacers. Paces. Terry Stotts. He was, okay. The uh, Trailblazers. And the last one is hard. The last one is a former player. Earl Watson. Earl Watson. The Phoenix, Phoenix Suns. Wow. That's, that's that's a pretty really, cool you know, stat, right? That is a pretty cool stat. That's an yeah. amazing stat because, oh my, you got me. Sorry. That that makes me feel proud.
and, and, and uh, yeah, and did and actually a couple of years ago, it would have been five with George Carl, but then he got yeah. booted out of Sacramento, and then you throw in Richard Cho, you know, who was an assistant general manager there, and now he's a general yeah, manager for, for Jordan with the Charlotte. They had yeah, a lot they of produced talent. a lot of talent. They, 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 they produced. I can't, I a would tremendous think more. I think talent. more of. Uh, Downtown Freddie Brown and Slick Watts right. and so Jack you're, you're, Sigma. You're a couple of generations and, uh, before that. You know, and focusing on that, I don't know exactly what years they were. But I got they, you. They had really Th- those, some those interesting were, teams. Those, I, I, another personal factor, I actually introduced Dwayne Casey to his future wife, uh, Brenda Lundberg. Good for you. Catch. She was a catch. Okay, so... Um, let, let me get to, to a few more NBA-based uh, um, questions. You know, you, you, the NBA has always been a leader in pursuing uh, new technology. Cable, TV rights, Seattle, uh, satellite TV, digital cable. And I believe you guys were the first channel on YouTube, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so... What's a relatively new technology that will you think will greatly impact sports? Well, in fairness, I think it's it's relatively new is social media. Okay. I mean, I just saw that Snapchat made a deal with NBC for the Olympics for the second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snapchat stories, Instagram stories, Twitter feeds. I mean, it's there's going to be a whole new way of watching television. It's going to be in bites and sound bites by a younger Mm. generation. They're not going to sit and watch the Super Bowl from start to finish Mm. and sit through all those commercials and all that long game. That's not their style. Okay. And so social media is becoming very, very important. And it's not really social media just as to be social. It's it's a different kind of delivery Mm -hmm. and, and a different attention span. That's really interesting. I got you. And I remember hearing or reading that there was something you tried out that turned out into like a a German porno site or something. What's that about? Well, I just said, I I think it was a throwaway line that I I saw two presentations, one from Second Life and one from YouTube. I followed them both out of the hall Mm -hmm. and we made a deal with both of them immediately. So we were the first channel on YouTube when it was owned and run by a gentleman by the name of Chad Hurley. Okay. And then there was Second Life, which was a a virtual world where you would hold meetings and do other things. And I said, I think I have a an avatar on that site that's probably more of a German porn site than anything <laughs> else. I'm not sure. But it wasn't literally a German porn no, site. No, I might be. I don't that's know. Funny. I heard that it was different, so that, I don't know exactly. That's funny. Now, you, you find Greg Popovich, everyone, you know, mo- most NBA fans knows about this in 2012, I think $250,000 uh, apparently for not letting the NBA know ahead of time he was going to arrest his players. It's still an issue. Years later, and it, it kind of, it seems like I guess he was, you know, he's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. He runs a model franchise. So he's seen, you know, it, it reflecting on that decision. And now it seems like coaches are, are resting younger people, younger people. He was resting his older veterans. So reflecting on that, you know, what do you think is a happy medium? Because I, I, it's hard for me to say because I think that Adam 
silver and the owners are going to focus on this at their meeting mm-hmm. next month and they'll come up with something i have no doubt the the truth is that sometimes the coaches are you know i recognize their concerns but do you really think it's 100% about wrestling and not a little gamesmanship but it's hard to say. I, yes, well, you, yeah. well, what do you think? Do I, you? So you know, much, yeah, but San, it, it, Golden State's going into San Antonio and they rest all their starters. They don't well, want to show them what they got. You know, it, it, but, it, it's but, come on. It, it, it's, it's, I see your point. But, but they have to come up with a system. I right. don't know what it is. I, I see your point, David. But is don't don't you agree? It is a slippery slope. Yes, both ways. When 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 the league is starting to tell coaches. I, I tell That's you what. That's a slippery slope. Yes, but I'm I'm a little bit uh, a hard ass on this. It's a slippery slope, but when you have a sport that supports all the families that we support, mm-hmm. players and staff alike, thousands of people, based upon a certain promise to your fans, and the parent spends several hundred dollars to buy three tickets they take the kids mm-hmm. for the one time that a player's in town right. and he's out not because he's injured mm-hmm. but because the coach decided to rest not only him right. but his three other stars I think, you're, I think you've defined the issue and I don't know what I'm not saying I know what the answer is right. San Antonio was a different situation yeah, but they, had, they hadn't notified us they had actually chartered a plane to take their stars home. This, the, the plane had a flat tire, mm-hmm. so they made them fly Southwest Airlines. It was a kind of a fiasco all around. Gotcha. Well, a lot of fans don't realize that you actually started fi- finding teams for resting players decades ago. And I saw this uh, piece of information that uh, was pretty interesting. In 1990, you filed fined Pat Riley $25,000 for resting Magic Johnson and James Worthy in the last game of the season, and he went ballistic. And, and he said something about, uh, he, he had a line about, you know, maybe the league officials need to start, you know, coaching the players themselves. So it's, it's interesting that it goes even further beyond. You know, I don't remember that. But I, it's possible. Oh, it I, happened. I, I was a, I, I was an idealistic commissioner. I thought that the way to do it is, come on, you know, to have the player dressed, have him play some, mm-hmm. rest them, you know, take him out in the fourth period, do something, you know, give the fans some nod or tip of the hat so they could say they actually saw James Worthy or Magic Johnson play. I, I, I just, but I understand it, you know. Because let me tell you something about coaches. In 1990, we took Utah and Phoenix to play two games in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And every time they lost during that season, there was some complaint that it was because of the trip they took in October to Tokyo. Hmm. (laughs) Okay? And I used to say, come on, Connors and McEnroe get off the plane. They play three sets and they move on. Uh And then those two teams met in the playoffs that year. And I said, come on, guys, let's agree. Whichever team loses the playoff series, I'm not going to say it was because that the games that we played in, mm-hmm. a, in October as opposed to the playoff series in April. So, I mean, coaches have a right. They're very protective. And they, they do their job, and they get fired if they don't succeed. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's up to owners to set the standard. What What are your thoughts on Magic Johnson being named uh, Lakers uh, president um, of basketball operation? Even someone in Phil Jackson's basketball, basketball acumen has been you know, pretty much a bus running the Knicks. So what are your thoughts on, on Magic taking that job? I only have one thought about Magic. I love him. Okay. <laughs> That's it. And I wish him well. All right. And he's so industrious and applied that I'm sure he's going to do well. Gotcha. So, you know, speaking of the – let's, let's stick to the Lakers. Um, and, you know, I, I can't end this podcast without at least – you know, does that mean we're near the end? Oh, yeah, we're, I got a few more questions, but we're we're, we're, ne- we're near the end. Um, yeah, we <laughs> we're near the end. Let oh. the record show. I'm showing him my watch. Oh yeah, you you and are he promised me your I watch. was going to be out of here at six thirty by six thirty. Oh, I was told I had ninety minutes. I was here at a quarter to five. Okay, but you you did have some of my cookies cuz yes, i was trying to be a nice and i had nice some of your water and some of my water I and, get it. You, you and i had to i had to give david stern a a a a a private throw, air, air conditioner you throw a hell of a party yes you you set the temperature at 110 <laughs> degrees you know you give me water and a cookie you know what and, I, i'm uh, from the motherland so okay. we kind of we kind of like to have we kind of like to, to, to like have it our hot. heat. Some exactly. Like it hot. We okay. like it hot. So next time I know. Next Did you time, tell everyone where the motherland is? Because your name is oddly deceptive. Yeah, the motherland. My, my uh, From Ghana. I, I uh, My parents are from Ghana. I was actually born in, in, in New York. But uh, a lot of people uh, hear the name Damasio. But it is a Ghanaian name. There are tons of um, Ghanaians uh, named Damasio. So let's talk about that infamous proposed trade from 2011 we'll, we'll make it quick because you you finally commented on it um recently but you know some might say that you you, you came across as a, a lawyer on oj's dream team meaning you kind of navigated in semantics but the bottom line that i want to ask from you is can you explain what happened in layman's term to the fan on the street what trade are you talking about? The Lakers, the, the, the three-team oh, trade oh, in 2011, oh, okay. the Lakers, the oh, Rockets, yeah. and the Hornets. Oh, okay, yes. And, uh, and, and the NBA owned New Orleans, and I was running the team for the owners. Mm-hmm. I was the owner's rep. Right. And uh, there had been a promise made to Chris Paul that he would be traded because right. he had been a great player for New Orleans mm-hmm. and a great community representative. And the... Uh, but the trade was made without authorization of anyone who was in charge of supervising the team. And uh, it, at least the trade was, was shaped. It never became final because someone asked me as the owner's rep, are we going to do this trade? And I said, no, we're not going to do it. So the trade was never made. Right. But, but the general manager wanted that trade to happen. And he was overruled essentially. Let's let's just just yeah, speak no, on layman's no, terms. Yeah, yeah. They, oh, the general. There are lots of trades. There's no trade of a Hall of Fame player that isn't signed off on, right? By the owner, and this owner's rep did not sign off on that trade. And and the average fan on the street wants to know, without getting into semantics, why? Why was it because? Because we weren't getting enough. Okay. Um, in return, it was about. 
Oh, Louis Scola, right. Kevin Morton, right. and Lamar Odom. And in retrospect, I think four out of the five aren't in, in the league anymore. Just the, the, the guard in, in, in Miami. I, I, um, Tragic? Was right. That? He's no. the only one in the league. Was he in that trade? Yeah. Okay. He's in that trade. I don't trade. remember. Okay. So, so, so you're so saying. So we, we, we just, oh, it was only based on what was good for New Orleans or what was not good for New Orleans. Had nothing to do with the Lakers at all. Okay. And in fact, in the course of the weekend, and we thought we could redo the deal. Mm-hmm. We really thought that Houston would, would be ready to part with Kevin Lowry. Hmm. And, uh, mid, and we had a, a trade lined up for Odom that would have gotten us a good first-round draft pick. But uh, not we, but uh, my basketball folks. But, uh, but Mitch Kupchak at the time panicked and moved Odom to Dallas. Hmm. So the piece wasn't even there for us to... Uh, to play with at the time, so that was it. Okay, well, just about just about what was good for the then New Orleans Hornets. Well, it it it's, it seemed from afar that maybe there was miscommunication because the general manager was empowered to make the trade, and I thought he, he was in constant. He, no, he was not not empowered. Not that well, final trade, but he was empowered to pursue a trade. Oh, sure, that happens all the time. But wasn't he in constant communication with the with with the no. league office? No, he wasn't. Okay, so so it he was not in constant no, communication. No, no. In fact, the only time I learned about it was as we finished, I think, a board meeting. That uh, uh, where we approved the, a settlement of the collective bargaining agreement in the strike. Mm-hmm. We were in the middle of strike. Uh, we heard it released it was on twitter or something like that mm-hmm. and it was clear that the general manager and the general managers of la and of houston were trying to make it seem like a fait accompli they figured they could put enormous pressure on me to let the trade go through i see would you would you agree that there was an inherent conflict of interest with your role as a de facto S- owner same, of the, the hornet same as when Bud Selig was the owner's rep for the Montreal Expos. Right. Same as when Gary Bettman was the owner's rep for the Phoenix Coyotes or the Arizona Coyotes. I would agree. But it's someone has to do the, the dirty work. And it's a unique situation. Probably will not happen again. No, I don't think so. Even though Laker fans are not going to forgive you anytime That's, soon. I love them anyway. I, I found it ironic because you supposedly have favored big market teams. Yeah, supposedly. For, for, for quite a while. And then, you know, on this one, you, you really... Uh, Didn't favor anybody on this got, one. Got I just, hammered. I just favored New Orleans. Gotcha. I, I don't... I mean, this is a contrarian take, but I don't think the Lakers necessarily would have transformed into a super team because the next year they still had the players that they, they had Kobe... They had Howard, uh, they had Paul, and they still struggled. I know. So too, I'm, I'm not know, sure if Chris I know, Paul would I know too much. I can't discuss it. Oh, okay. Jerry Buss was a good friend, and I knew what it was in his mind, and he understood what I had to do in that circumstance. Okay. So do you have uh, time for a few more questions to wrap this up? I'll give you one or two questions. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you. Well, we're, gonna, we're going to... Uh, um, this is the comedy section. Oh. Comedy maybe, section. Maybe I have no questions left. <laughs> Come on, let's go. 
So I, I want to know who your favorite comedian is. Tell me who your favorite comedian is and, uh, you know, offer a joke. I think that uh, John Stewart, John Oliver, they're... Give they're, me one. Give me I one, don't please. A, I don't have a great joke. I don't have a great no, joke. No, one, one comedian that you, uh, you like. I love John Stewart. And, and talk about why you like John Stewart. Because he's, you know, he's got great facial expressions. He's got a sense of irony and humor. Mm-hmm. He has a... Uh, somewhat broad range of vocabulary that is pretty good and uh i think he did a great job on the uh, daily show as a comedian and a deliverer of political commentary okay all right i'm going to give a two quick jokes i want you to grade it from one to ten they're going to be really quick literally take 20 seconds (laughs) i'm going to try to set the guinness book of world's record for the shortest joke ever told are you ready it's gonna be quick you ready ready anthony wiener <laughs> okay <laughs> that's a good joke actually let's guarantee at least a tie for the record wiener oh, that's very good thank you you graded from a one to a ten i give it a ten wow okay that's a keeper now this joke is a, a little salty just a warning. It's a little salty, but I'm going to, you know, some of the best comedians are salty, you know? I think, Richard I Pryor, think Eddie Murphy. I, Dave Chappelle. Exactly. Is, I, think he's, I think he's great. Exactly. So we'll make this quick. Sarah Palin bashed Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee during the national anthem in protest of racism. But she sure didn't mind taking two knees for somebody named Glenn Rice. That's salty. Reportedly. Really? Okay. That's that's salty. <laughs> Great oh, it. I, I give it a two. Oh come on. Come See, on. You 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 basically you want you 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 you're if if that was said by Richard Pryor, you would laugh but That's different, Richard Pryor. Yeah, okay. so so it's Dave a salty Chappelle joke. Could have said it. Right, exactly. Since Nuno okay. Damasio says you know, it some of the, a, ga- they, they, a, a Ghanaian <laughs> with an Italian name that's very common in, in Ghana. Okay. Okay, these are my last couple of questions. Uh, and and thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. You know, you're 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 seventy four. Only you're only four years younger than Trump. You know, you you, you won't run for political office. Um, I want to know your sh- main short term goal in life, and then your main long term goal in life. Short term, something you want to accomplish within five years. Long term, the definition of long term is something you want to accomplish before you pass away. Yeah. Short term, I would like to have a president uh, in the United States that cares about the environment, about drinking water, air quality, things like that, mm-hmm. about health care for poor people, uh, everything that's the anti-Trump uh, agenda. Wow. That's something that would be good because I think his agenda is an indecent, un-American agenda. Wow. Wow. Well, that... that- this wasn't what I was going to ask, but that leads me to this question. I read on the undefeated site an interview by of Adam Silver, and he encouraged players to show up. Of course. Okay, that seems, you know, on one hand, the NBA says it encouraged players to be social activists, but on the other hand, now the commissioner is encouraging players to show up for um, a, a, 
a president who's polarizing. So oh, he didn't w- say that. No, he didn't really say it. The that quote way. was no, he, he would did. encourage players to to, to no. show up, well, who, maybe, win the championship. Well, maybe you go and you express your view. I don't know. It gotcha. depends whether you get that opportunity. That's a close one. I because I understand. I'm talking about the policies, not right, the office. But, I understand. But, you know, I was not a Reagan Republican or a Bush Republican, but I was honored to. Uh, accompany our championship teams to the White House to meet with those presidents. But, but, you know, coaches like Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr have been passionate and eloquent in their criticism. What happens if they win? What happens? Stay tuned. That's what's great about sports. Okay. It's it's an ongoing soap opera. Okay. So give me what you would want to be remembered. uh, Excuse me. What your long-term call, something you want to accomplish before you die. I'll 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 be remembered like in in the immortal no, no, words. No, no, something you want to accomplish no, before you die. I just want everyone to say that I played hard. Just that's the way Rasheed Wallace would have said it. That's it. I don't have any. I don't have a goal before I die. I just like to see my family happy, as many people as I know happy, mm-hmm. and the and the sport of the NBA continue to thrive. That's okay. it. Okay. And what would you like to be remembered by? You you still for playing remember? hard. That's so vague. You, yeah, you wanna... that's cool. I you... think it's vain. We're all here for a dot of time and a dot of ability to do things. It's ridiculous to be so, you know, egomaniacal, if you would, <laughs> that you could have an impact to be remembered for X. That's ridiculous. That's, that's human nature, you know? Nah, I think when you get older, you get more mature and you understand it, you know. So you would yeah. want David Stern would want to be remembered for playing hard for doing for doing the job that I was hired in each case to do that's all and and in making choices that were intelligent choices along the way personal professional family etc that's all that's the best you can do okay well David we're gonna wrap this up I really um, appreciate you coming to my apartment um, you know. I, I, I heard it was really fancy, so it, I wanted to see how well you were living. How would you know and what what my apartment would be like? <laughs> this is a based this is on a, based this is on a what? high rent Manhattan oh, apartment. Dude, come on, this, oh come on, a high rent. I've been living here since. I mean, uh, I've been living in this neighborhood since <laughs> two thousand and and and. Uh, Five when I, I moved uh, from Seattle. So to, this is David to, and Nuno <laughs> signing off. Hey, 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 hey. How are you getting home? I'm driving. You're driving yourself? Is that okay? A source told me you have a driver. Sometimes. I'm not going to reveal my sometimes, source. Sometimes, sometimes. Okay, well, David, thanks a lot. And this was the um, debut podcast of Nuno and Company. Thanks for being with us. And uh, thank you, David, for keeping us company. Have a good day. Thanks for your courtesies, Nuno. All right. <laughs> okay, David, you want some more? You want some more uh, cookies or? Nope. <laughs> so this is my first outro, which I've learned is podcast lingo for when you ask listeners to take action. Basically, a call to action. Please leave a review on iTunes if possible. That's supposed to be important for podcasts. And you can find detailed notes about this episode at the website nunodemazio.com backslash podcast. That's my name is one word spelled 
N-U-N-Y-O-D-E-M-A-S-I-O.com backslash, not the word backslash, but the symbol backslash podcast. Singular, no S at the end. You'll find a detailed summary of the episode, tons of links on stuff we touched on, everything from Ronald Reagan using the slogan Make America Great Again in 1980 versus Jimmy Carter to an article on David Stern finding Pat Riley $25,000 for resting Magic Johnson and James Worthy in the 1990 regular season finale. It was interesting that David didn't remember that specific find. The show notes also include a cool video of Nelson Mandela in South Africa meeting an NBA contingent led by David Stern. The podcast page of the website also contains photos, including an exclusive photo of David eating a cookie in my apartment. <laughs> and there's even a, a, a YouTube, uh, a short YouTube clip taking us behind the scenes with David. Um, it's pretty amusing. Anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe through iTunes or NunoDiMaggio.com backslash podcast it's not quite a weekly podcast early on because in between episodes i have to pay some bills and i've also decided that each interview is going to be face to face so logistics will occasionally be a a factor a challenge but inevitably i hope to get into a regular schedule the next guest i'm not going to name because i'm still trying to secure his participation Um, He's definitely well-known and influential. Oh, and the Parcells book is still available on Amazon. You don't have to be a sports fan uh, to uh, get into it. It, It's plenty of life lessons and business lessons. And one last thing I'm excited about. Articles based on the show will appear on Apple News. So if you have the Apple News app on your smartphone, you'll have access Uh, Thanks again for listening to the debut episode, and I'm looking forward to keeping you company next time with another terrific guest. Cheers. Cheers.